This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. No problems and everybody just calm down. Oh, well, maybe that was a lie. Interesting that I called it a lie yesterday and said that there's going to be some deep and hurtful, painful things coming at us down the road. The storm clouds are gathering, as they say. Today's shares of Credit Suisse plunged to an all-time low for the second consecutive day after one of their top investors uh, withdrew their money. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not good. What's going on is not good at all. And the fact that we have a government that basically just misleads us and uh, gives us bad information and then wants to have its own ministry of disinformation when it's really the one full of misinformation. Credit Suisse uh, took a big hit when one of the uh, Saudi investors uh, you know, said he's not going to help them. He said, I'm withdrawing all my support from this bank. And, uh, and they're in a tumult. It's a, a Swiss bank, trades on the, uh, uh, I guess on the London exchange as well as here. The share price was down substantially this morning. And let me tell you something. These runs, these runs on banks that everybody's been so worried are going to be happening, they're happening. It doesn't matter what, what the uh, authorities do at this point. Because human beings are, are stampede. We, we, we do stampede. And technology has made it easier for us to act on these sort of ancient impulses that we have. And they're now on warp speed. Okay, so when customers were lining up to get their money out of the Silicon Valley Bank last week, you, uh, it, it was basically like yelling fire in a crowded theater. Everyone who had any money in any bank immediately panicked. That herd mentality just took us over. I uh, have a friend who works in a, a bank, a regional bank, and I had to communicate something to her yesterday regarding some accounts. And uh, you know she was actually too busy to talk, which she never is, because she was fielding phone conversations all day, all day, all day from people who were panicking. You know, our 21st century, uh, what do we call it, cheers, Twitter, that, that is, um, we, we all were on there panicking. And, and people, including me, were absolutely terrified about the banks. And and so what did the government do? They came on the on the air on Sunday of all things. That that doesn't tell you that we're in a serious 
situation, I don't know what will. And they guaranteed all deposits up to $10 million. Within 48 hours of that, the 16th largest bank in the United States, the bank of choice for many of the tech startups, shuttered by the feds, around $42 billion in deposits were withdrawn last Thursday alone. That's right. That's that uh, don't worry about a thing, SVB. They were the victim of an old-fashioned bank run. People get nervous about the safety of their deposits, and they rush to pull their money out. The bank had about $200 billion, uh, $210 billion under management going into this year, and they saw $42 billion of it get pulled unexpectedly in a single day. That's more than a million dollars per second, just to give you a, an idea of what that felt like and looked like to the Silicon Valley Bank. Except it wasn't exactly an old-fashioned bank run because House Financial Services Committee Chair Patrick McHenry called this collapse the first Twitter-fueled bank run. In other words, this bank run was particularly modern, a panic aided by technology that has taken ancient human impulses and put them on warp speed. There's a decent chance that were it not for a few tweets and maybe a newsletter, the Silicon Valley Bank might still be serving their customers today. There were two signal events in the run-up to the bank run. The first was a tweet storm that was posted back in mid-January that called attention to a few uh, red flags that somebody spotted in the uh, company's finances. Actually, they were reporting earnings and investors were fixated on the enormous amount of exposure they had to the venture, the stressed out venture capital world and the stock was down a little. And then if you dig a little deeper, Raging Capital Ventures said on Twitter on January 18th, you see a bigger set of problems at the Silicon Valley Bank. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So more people in Silicon Valley began to talk and text about the bank. And the tweets brought to more people's attention what some had already known, that Silicon Valley Bank's management had severely mismanaged interest rate risk by investing their gigantic ballooning assets. They saw a lot of money coming in during 2021 and 2022, and they put it in long-term bonds, which of course lost significant value as the Fed hiked interest rates. A month later, 
a post that went viral by Bern Hobart, who's a financial analyst and writer in Austin, Texas, who writes a newsletter called The Diff. Hobart called attention to the bank's highly levered asset base. And while he called the bank run highly unlikely, he noted, no one wants to look paranoid by being the first to move their money out, but no one wants to deal with the consequences of being the last. Now, a lot of venture capitalists read that newsletter, and it triggered a lot of concern among them. As a matter of fact, several venture capitalists pointed to that single post from the diff as the triggering event. Within a couple of weeks after his newsletter and, uh, and all of the tweeting went on, by the way, his tweet had three and a half million views by the time I, I started taking notes. People like Peter Thiel's Founders Fund were advising portfolio companies, pull your money out of the bank. And unlike back in 2008, which is, of course, when Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers collapsed, Silicon Valley Bank's depositors could withdraw that money in mere seconds from their cell phones. That did not exist in 2008. It turned out that one of the biggest risks to the business model of Silicon Valley Bank was catering to this very tightly knit group of investors who definitely exhibit all the herd-like mentalities that cause a bank run. You know, it, it, sorry to be rude, but there's another reason that it may not be a great idea to be the bank of startups, which is that nobody on earth is more of a herd animal than Silicon Valley venture capitalists. No one's an easier punching bag than the denizens of Silicon Valley. But to scapegoat any single one of them or even a small cohort of firms is pretty naive. The truth is that Silicon Valley folks are no more or less herd-like than the rest of us, especially when they're armed with Twitter. Indeed, you know, what nobody at Silicon Valley Bank seemed to have realized is that social media is a superconductor of mimetic contagion, the spread of ideas and desires in mere seconds, unlike any the world has seen. And our institutions are no match against it. I've been talking about this for months now. This, I, I particularly talked about it in regards to COVID. This whole mimetic contagion is amazing to me. You know, the social theorist, Rene Girard, who of course everybody's paying much more attention to the last couple of years because his idea of mimetic desire is a big deal. It shows that humans are extraordinarily powerful and sophisticated imitators. And the speed and force of the imitation increases dramatically when there's uncertainty. And boy, was there uncertainty in the last week in the marketplace. There's an instinctual response that people have at the most basic level. Stampedes are created when people see other people running and they don't give much thought about why are they running. We don't think of Twitter as a stadium in which we can easily be trampled, but it, it kind of is when you think about it. Because if you were like me, I, get, I went on Twitter between Thursday and Saturday. I talked about this uh, Monday, just as the Silicon Valley Bank story was gathering steam. And even though I was trying to ignore everything, I could not ignore that people who were around me 
were concerned. And people were asking me, thinking that somehow I would have some inside knowledge if there was going to be a run on their bank. And, uh, you know, look, if you've ever uh, watched these shows about uh, the zombie apocalypses and the end of times and all the rest of it, uh, or even that very popular show, The Last of Us, if you want to understand how mimetic contagion works, it's the power of suggestion. That's it, in a nutshell. Even in when you think about Shakespeare's Othello, it was just a suggestion of infidelity that set off a string of reactions. It, it's just a suggestion that someone is a racist or a xenophobe or a, 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 you know, a homophobe that causes extreme emotional distress and sometimes real-life consequences. It's just the mere suggestion that something that is or would normally be a minor risk, which has the power to amplify that same risk and then set off this mimetic contagion and perception becomes reality. There are literally people who woke up on Thursday or Friday morning with deposits in the Silicon Valley Bank who withdrew their money in a panic, but the thought of doing that would have never crossed their minds had it not been first suggested to them on Twitter or by an email or a text or a phone call. The power of suggestion cannot be overestimated. In other words, it has epistemic consequences. Being caught up in the process actually changes how we see reality. And it takes only a mere suggestion by the right person to put a panic into motion. One person at a time. It doesn't matter whether the suggestion actually turns out to be true or false, or even it doesn't matter what the motivations of the person who made it were. The effect is the same, which raises some serious ethical questions. If you're a sharp venture capitalist and you believed that Silicon Valley Bank was in deep trouble, was the right thing over the past few days to do? Was it to take to Twitter and warn people in order to protect them and pressure the, uh, the Fed to intervene? Or was the right thing to remain silent in order to prevent a bank run that perhaps might not have happened without social media? And almost immediately in this case, and this is another core idea of uh, Girard's, those that did move quickly, like Peter Thiel, were scapegoated for doing it. When it comes to these destructive mimetic cycles, it can seem like there are simply no good options. We're damned if we do and damned if we don't. It's a very strange dilemma. And yet another uh, side problem coming out of the technology world. All of us have the right to speech and certainly ethical and financial obligations to our own companies and, and to those that uh, we are invested in. I, you know, I'm one of these free speech absolutists, even on Twitter. But it's important that we each also understand that we're players in a giant mimetic machine that's capable of becoming a model for others to follow. A lot of people are now diagnosing what happened at SVB. And they're going to make important policy proposals and strategy decisions as it relates to the banking system. Others, not so much. Don't trust banks, trust bitcoins. That was a meme that was out there. The crypto crowd never misses an opportunity. But I'll, I'll leave the analysis to other people. 
Given that we can't avoid the mimetic social process that contributed to this problem, what are some anti-mimetic devices or tactics that we can introduce to make such panic less common and less severe? I don't think the answer is restricting speech. I don't think the answer is restricting the ability of people to have access to their money when they want it. Those would both do serious, serious harm to our freedoms and would open the door to more catastrophes. But we have other options. First, we should implement intentional banking mechanisms on the processes that are unleashed when there's a runaway mimesis. People reacting to other people reacting to other people reacting to other people reacting to the news about other people reacting, making everything doubly mimetic. Our technology has removed almost all friction from bank runs, and that's a dangerous thing. We have to reintroduce fr fiction. We have to find a way to slow things down. I'm not a financial expert, but I've spoken to enough of them in the last 48 hours to know that this is going to become problematic, period. Not just Silicon Valley Bank, not just the uh, other bank or two that you saw uh, the government intervene, but now it's Credit Suisse. And then it'll be a major bank here in the uh, United States. And then it'll be another international bank. And then it's going to be all bets are off. And, and you're just not going to feel safe anywhere at any time. All right. Don't forget to download the 850 app or to visit the apps, the website, the 850 WFTL website, so that you can register to win uh, various sweepstakes that we have going on there. We got uh, Bowls gift cards, uh, Bolet Fresh, rather, from the... Bole Fresh Bold Kitchen. That's a cool gift. And we also have a pair of tickets to see I Am He Said. And uh, it's a show about Neil Diamond, which my son would love to see. I'm going to take a break. At 1230, I'm going to be talking with Lisa Miller about the reinsurance market and what's actually happening on Tallahassee. She's up there lobbying to preserve our sanity and maybe our money uh, when it comes to condo insurances. So just stay right where you are. You know, there are some crazy things that uh, run across my desk or run across my computer screen or whatever. Do you realize that in New York City, their Immigration and Customs Enforcement Office is fully booked for 10 years? You know, I have a friend who works for uh, Border Patrol down in Arizona, and he had told me about this a while ago, saying that, like, you know, sending them to New York City is almost like giving them a pass, you know, because I, th I said, you know, our governor was sending them here and uh, Greg Abbott was sending them there and blah, blah, blah. And he says, yeah, but there's 10-year waiting lists in those places. So if there's no available appointments to process migrants released into the country after they cross the border illegally for at least 10 years, you're talking about them never getting their asylum claims heard, which will almost certainly be denied. So they live in the country freely for 10 years until their case is reviewed. And if you want to stay here and fight your case for 12 years, <laughs> you know, it's actually pretty clever. Thomas Homan, the acting ICE director from uh, January 2017 through June of 2018, said, if you want to stay here and fight your case for 12 years, and if you do your research or the cartels do their research, that's actually pretty clever. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, 
Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Biden administration released over 800,000 immigrants into the country over the past two years. All of those released were initially apprehended after they crossed the border illegally. So to cope with the influx after his election, they issued these immigrants a notice to report to the ICE office at their final destination after their release. Okay. How's that working? It isn't. New York City's not the only location struggling with a backlog. Right here in Florida, Jacksonville is the second most backlogged office. It is mostly booked through mid-2028. That's over five years. Also in Florida, third most overstretched, Miramar is fully booked through the beginning of 2028 with nearly 25,000 immigrants waiting on appointments. That's my backyard. I think that what they're trying to do is flood the country with people who are not going to be able to get in front of a court. I think they're going to try and force legislative amnesty making the same claim that they always do, which is, well, we don't have the resources, we don't have the political will, we can't deport this many people. You know, I've been around this block so many times already, it really just grieves me that we continue to fall for this and that we don't push back. But we don't, not with any, uh, any vigor anyway. So good, uh, I, I did want to congratulate the uh, people of Boca Raton, because they were confronted with really what I would consider very corrupt politicians who voted to hold an election when the only thing that you were voting on was a measure that was put on the ballot by the city council to give them longer terms, to extend their terms. And the people of Boca Raton showed that they're not so stupid. They're not sheep and they crushed the proposal. Palm Beach County Supervisor of Elections said uh, 59% of people were against it. The proposal should have never even been on a ballot. And, and how much did it cost to run that election? I think uh, I read in Florida Jolt that it was like a couple of hundred thousand dollars. You should make the mayor and all of his cronies pay back the constituents. There's about 100,000 people in Boca. That's a, you know, give everybody a buck. Public didn't ask for this election. It was called for by corrupt politicians and I guess, you know, uh, an army of special interests. Kudos to my friend Larry Snowden, who was, uh, you know, he's an activist that never stops, never stops standing up for the right thing. Um, good. You know, this is the kind of stuff. And, and, and my friends Roxana and Bob Trinka get a lot of credit too. They're always on the cutting edge of things that need to happen. So, hey, listen, uh, you know, it's not only other states like uh, Chicago, other cities like Chicago that can fight back. Apparently, the city of Boca Raton decided to fight back, and uh, they won this battle. Good. Good for them. I need a victory story every now and again. I really do. Uh, the other thing <laughs> that I, I'm just going to mention in passing was that uh, the Miami Hotel, the Hyatt Regency Miami, is uh, about to get their 
liquor license revoked because they defied warnings by the governor and they allowed children to attend a Christmas-themed drag show. The governor's office said that a sexually explicit show with children present violates Florida law. Minors attended and were knowingly admitted during the show and in the presence of persons less than 16 years of age, performers appeared on stage wearing sexually suggestive clothing and prosthetic female genitalia. The complaint alleges that the performers wore prosthetic breasts and genitals, rubbed the prosthetic brace on the faces and mouths of audience members, exposed their rears to the crowd, and gave performances simulating masturbation with other scenes, including graphic depictions of childbirth and or abortion. What? And they parodied children's Christmas songs, changing the lyrics to make them perverted? Like all I want for Christmas? Never mind. I can't even say that. I, I can't even repeat the things that these vixen vomit and uh, dasher and dancer and prancer and vixen vomit and dildo. Oh, please. I, I mean, good. Go after them. Stay the governor so you could do these things, would you? You know, fight the wars at the battlefield instead of, uh, instead of probably ruining your entire professional career by running for president prematurely. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, Lisa Miller is my guest, and uh, we're going to talk about what's going on here for Florida condo owners and what she thinks we should be doing about it. I'll be right back. Well, I am not going to give up covering stories about what's happening to the condominium uh, marketplace here in South Florida. I'm a condo resident. Uh, I have a homeowners association, and we've got numerous things coming at us, not the least of which are all the new rules and regulations regarding insurance. So I have asked someone who really understands this probably better than just about anyone else. Lisa Miller is on the line with me. Lisa, tell people a little bit about your background so they feel pretty confident that you know what you're talking about. Thank you so much for having me today. I want to make sure that my connection is clear. I'm actually in the Capitol as we speak. I spend our, our legislators are in session until the first week of May. Mm -hmm. um, insurance is, uh, it unfortunately, is some of it is a hot topic and some of it's not. We'll get into that. But I'm Florida's former deputy insurance commissioner. I served uh, during the 2004 and 2005 storms, which, as many of you know, we've been residents here a long time. That was eight storms that crisscrossed our state in two years and really did a number on so many of our communities. And I, a lot of folks have me under I for insurance because, unfortunately, I got the bug when I was in my early 20s, and I'm 63, and I'm still talking about it, Joyce. So thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, well, it needs to be talked about because, you know, uh, the Homeowners Association where I am in my condo is right now, as we speak, looking at the new rates, uh, the renewal premium statement for the uh, condo associations, and it looks insane. So let's talk about why it's insane, Joyce. Mm -hmm. And I, again, appreciate you letting me educate your great listeners uh, throughout the audience. You know, there's three reasons why insurance premiums rise. One is the weather, and we all know we can't do anything about that. We can't fix that, can't change that. And the weather, as we all know, is 
seems to be getting more extreme. Right. The second reason is frivolous litigation. I spoke with an attorney this morning who said that it is not uncommon for, for him to have 100-plus lawsuits against insurance companies for whatever reason. He was uh, very much critical of how insurance companies handle claims. I'm not saying insurance companies are good or bad. That's not my purpose for this discussion. But um, And that he was just, you know, incensed that the governor would try to take away the rights of folks to sue, which is not what the governor is trying to do. So litigation is a big piece of why your insurance premiums are rising. We'll talk more about that. And then third uh, is the reinsurance, the cost of reinsurance. And reinsurance is reinsurance is insurance for insurance companies. So by way of example, for every dollar that you spend in premiums, uh, let's suppose that your condo association had a $250,000 premium last year. This year, it's $750,000. That doesn't seem to be an uncommon example. Uh, much of that is the cost of reinsurance that insurance companies buy to backstop what they're not able to pay in claims. They're required by the insurance commissioner to have reinsurance. So okay. with the increase in litigation and the increase in reinsurance costs, which are going up all over the world, you're seeing those premiums go up, Joyce, and it's, uh, it's very concerning, uh, and I know it's causing a lot of issues for condo boards across the state. It sure is, and, and most of them have no clue what they can do about it. Uh, I mean, obviously, as you said, I can't do anything about uh, the weather, but and even the reforms that are necessary for all the lawsuits, or many of them you know, just frivolous, uh, how long is it going to take for that to, to you going to have reform in that area? Great question, Joyce. You know, the, the litigation changes that the governor's working on so vociferously, um, that'll take about two to three years to wind itself through the process. So remember, every judgment that comes out for a $20 million judgment or $2 million judgment or whatever those settlements are, um, that costs real money. And mm -hmm. as you know, litigation and claims costs go up, so do our insurance claims. But it'll take, you know, some of the changes that the legislature made, you know, requires people that want to sue their insurance company, you know, to, to find an attorney that will take that on contingency. And many of them will. Some attorneys are saying, I won't take those cases anymore. I have a hard time believing that with over 100,000 lawyers or more in our state, there are lawyers that will not help defend cases that are legitimate, that right. should be in the court. Um, the, the most critical short-term change that could make a difference within 60 days, 90 days, um, is that we make a change to reinsurance provisions and how things are done in our state when it comes to reinsurance. Many of us on a team are trying to convince the legislature and the governor's office to do what we're calling a reinsurance bridge. Back in May and December of last year, there were two special sessions on property insurance, and their legislature, uh, they provided some small changes to reinsurance. In one, in one instance, it was a couple of billion dollars. Another instance, it was a billion dollars. Frame of reference, all the premium in the state of Florida, all of us that pay premiums, that's about 11 to $12 billion in premium. Hmm. In terms of exposure, meaning if every building blew down 
and those claims had to be paid, you could imagine the trillions of dollars that is. Mm-hmm. So reinsurance backs up what the insurance premiums are in our state. So the, the governor and legislature came up with about 2 or $3 billion, which I know sounds like a lot, but that's a small piece of what is needed to reinsure all the risk in our state of Florida. And so those of us on this team are asking the state to do more. And we're at, there's some experts that have been working on a plan that may not cost the state any money if we rearrange and redirect some of the funding that's out there in our state. I mean, we're sitting on a 20-plus billion dollar surplus. So we're hoping that the governor and the legislature will consider what we're calling a reinsurance bridge, which would be more state-sponsored reinsurance versus the very, very, very expensive uh, private reinsurance that's purchased around the world from big companies in Switzerland and London and Bermuda. So think about this, Joy. About 35 to 40 cents of every dollar we pay in insurance premium goes to reinsurance or traditionally has gone to reinsurance. We're looking for that number to go up to 50 cents for every dollar this year and maybe next year at 55. Hmm. We need to trim that. And sources are telling me that if we do engage as a state in state-sponsored reinsurance, we could reduce premiums 15 to 20 percent in the next 60, 90, So I consider litigation a long-term solution to bringing premiums down, stopping some of the frivolous lawsuits, and I consider this reinsurance bridge a short-term solution. We've just got to get the governor's attention. Well, it's interesting because following my interview with you today, um, I'll be talking with uh, State Senator Blaze Angolia. And he uh-huh. always gives me the updates of what's going on in Tallahassee. And I don't often have something that I want to bring to him. So you have given me the subject matter that I'm going to be bringing up with him. You know, do you have support from the legislatures? Right now, it is not a priority. Senator mm-hmm. Blazingolia is a, is a, he understands insurance. He was chairman of the House Commerce Committee last year, which Uh, oversaw the insurance issues in our state. Awesome senator. You can tell him I said hello and that we would love him to help us uh, get the attention of the governor about what you need, Joyce, is your listeners should, I'm assuming that you take emails or some kind of communication, they -hmm. should send you a copy of their last year's premium and this year's premium from $250,000 last year $750,000 this year, whatever it is, right. and give and and share those with Senator Angolia and say, can you help us? Yeah. Can you get a few of us in front of the governor? Can you help us talk to the leadership in the governor's office that during session we need to make some changes to the reinsurance laws? He is very powerful. He knows a lot of people, and he understands insurance. Right. So he needs, but he needs to see the real problem. What I find as I walk in the halls of the Capitol, I can talk about the premium increases. It's nothing like showing actual premium increase. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to make sure to get uh, you know one here from my homeowners uh, condo board, and and have that as a weapon. But can people be calling the legislators, you know, their their uh, representatives and their senators, and badgering them a little bit? We we love to do that. Uh, I think it's very powerful to do that. It's one thing to call them. 
I would call them and then ask for the name of the person that they're talking to and immediately email them while you're on the phone with them. So they to say, would you mind opening the email that I've just that I'm sending you so they can see what the, what the increases are. I just don't believe that our senators and House members are seeing it. Right. They're hearing it, but my sister in Tampa owns a home uh, right down the street from the Strawberry Festival, and her premium last year was thirty two hundred dollars. This year, it's seven thousand dollars, and she's a retiree. Right. And so that's just on the single-family residential side. Mm. I can't imagine, Joyce, what you and your listeners are facing. And it, it directly affects the unit owners, as you know, and having to write those assessment checks. So, again, mm. I encourage all of you, get a copy of your last year's premium, this year's premium, and simply say to Senator Angoli and others, can you do something about this and help us with this free insurance issue? Can you get this? You know, the governor's passionate about so many things. We make him see and get him to listen and, and ask the He signals to the legislature that he right. wants them to do one more thing about free insurance like they did in May and December. I think we'll hit a home run. Well, then uh, from your mouth to God's ears, I'll do my part, and we'll get that message to Senator Angolia in just a few moments. But, Lisa, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate you coming on and clarifying some things about our role as the homeowners and condo owners in the state of Florida. We have to, we have to become activated, and, and I think you just lit a fire. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thank appreciate you so your much. Time. Give Senator uh, Angolia my regards. He's a great man. I sure will. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Now we got to take a quick break, and then Senator Blazingoli. I had forgotten he was supposed to be on at twelve thirty, but he's going to call back at twelve forty-five. So we're going to get to talk to him directly right after speaking to Lisa Miller. Stay right where you are. Welcome back. I've been so consumed. I was out of town last Wednesday, so I presumed that I had not spoken to Senator Blazingolia. That and that the oh, I messed up, Senator. And I should have known that today was your day. But it was kind of interesting because I spoke to Lisa Miller, who wanted me to tell you that she thinks so highly of you. And she just said glowing things about you in the segment before you came on. How convenient was that? Oh, that's awesome. Yep, Lisa's a friend. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, though, and she did say that you know more about insurance than your average uh, representative or senator up there. And we're coming up against some really serious crises. And I, I, I hope that, you know, the legislature is going to be taking up this whole reinsurance bridge business and, uh, you know, the, the cost of these inspections and re- possible repairs. You know, you got a lot of retirees here on fixed incomes. What's going to happen? Yeah, so when we did the insurance reform in special session in December, you know, we fixed a lot of the structural problems, but one of the problems we did not fix, we weren't, we didn't get able to, we weren't able to do it, was sort of fix the reinsurance problem. And that's going to be sort of like the next crises that we're going to have to can, uh, combat when it comes to fixing the overall insurance problem. There's not a market right now. Um, you have a lot of these companies that are putting their capital in other states um, and some other countries. And we need to get all of that capital returned to Florida because, as you know, insurance, there's, like, different layers where, like, your deductible is the first thing to get paid, um, and then there's a reinsurance component, there's a state-covered component. 
because the insurance companies actually have insurance also. Right. And it's that insurance that's driving up, which is causing some haywire and some disruption in the market right now. It is all going to work. It's, uh, it's all going to work out in the end. The problem is trying to deliver rate relief for people sooner rather than later. That's the challenge. Right. I mean, she spoke about a bridge. It would be a t- sort of a temporary fix because long term, you've got to continue on the path that you guys already are on of, uh, you know, litigation reform. And uh, we can't control the weather, but everything short of the weather, we can have some input. Yeah, look, insurance companies base all of their base all of their rates based upon modeling, like how much are they expected to take in? How much are they expected to lose? And for the most part, insurance companies do a pretty good job with forecasting damage from storms. It's some of the other things, litigation costs and, and not being able to have readily available reinsurance, which really throws a monkey wrench into what they're trying to do. And when insurance companies cannot predict effectively, they're always going to err on the side of higher premiums. So that's one of the things we're seeing right now. Well, you're up there. Sessions in place until May. What what is what are the hot topics? Um, the hot topics. Some of the things that we're working on, um, which sort of segues and dovetails into what you were talking about with um, insurance, is there's a big tort reform package moving through the uh, the legislature. Um, you know, we know that people and businesses in the state are sort of like targets for a lawsuit. There's a lot of lawsuit fraud abuse going on, uh, causing all of our premiums and our costs to go up. So the legislature is trying to tackle that right now. Um, I'm sitting back and I'm watching it. That bill has not come before me yet. Um, I'm a little concerned that we're taking away some of the safeguards against businesses from businesses and people. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we'll wind up with some su- substantial tort reform, um, which will then make everything a lot cheaper to live in the state of Florida. Another big thing that we're tackling is universal vouchers. You know, um, we believe that you should not be constrained um, for, uh, to the school that you go, K through 12, depending upon your zip code. So this this is a plan where the money will actually follow the student, where each student and the family is going to get about $8,000 per student, and they're going to be able to shop around. They can use that and put them in a private school. They can put them in a charter school. They can keep them in a public school. But why that's important is that we're creating competition, and we all know that competition-free markets, you wind up with a better product. So um, that's another big issue that's moving through the legislature right now. Mm. Is it a, a, a calm session or is it the calm before the storm? No, it is not calm. I would I tell you this so. is week two right now. <laughs> um, it feels like we're in like week five or six. There's a lot of stuff going on. This is unlike any session I've been a part of. Um, we had three special sessions coming into this um, regular session. So um, it's almost like we don't have a break at all. Our committees right now, our committees and meetings are lasting from like 8 o'clock in the morning until 9 or 10 p.m. at night every night. So it is very, very busy. We're trying to tackle a lot of issues. Mm. And uh, it's not like it's uh, your only job, most of you. So 
I can, <laughs> I can imagine the pressure that people are, are under in Tallahassee. But, you know, listen, um, th- I believe firmly that um, the beauty of a federal government is that it should only weigh in on national defense and maybe commerce, you know, routes, keep the roads clear. But the state should be handling all of these things from insurance to education to health care because you guys live here with us. You understand what our issues and problems are. You don't, re, you know, you don't go up to Washington and never come back like our congressmen do. Yeah, I hate to say that, but it's true. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's you, also, but you bring up a very good point there, uh, Joyce, is, uh, is some of the problems that we have trying to face some of these problems and come up with solutions is sometimes we're handcuffed by the federal government because of the supremacy clause of the U.S. Constitution. Mm-hmm. We cannot make any law that supersedes federal law. And because the federal government gives so much money to the states, there's too many strings attached to that. So the federal government does handcuff our ability to come up with some of these problems. You know, we've always said that we have uh, the innovation should be in the 50 states, but that innovation is actually thwarted by the federal government. Yeah. Yeah. I I find they're responsible for some of the biggest problems that we as individuals living in various states encounter because it's not my needs are not the same as the needs of my brother in New York City. Uh, or as my children in California, don't ask me why they live there, but, you know, it's like I did the best I could, place, you know. Um, well, California is a beautiful place in the middle of the state. Once you get into Oakland, San Francisco, and now San Diego, that's where all the liberals live now. But the middle of the state is absolutely beautiful in California. It's just too bad to have Governor Newsom as a governor. Right. right, yeah. It may be beautiful, but it's a mess, and the tax, the taxes there are off the charts. And they're about to put in another one, which will bring up, uh, you know, for someone like my son who does very well, he will pay 75 cents out of every dollar he earns in some form of taxation. Uh, that's insane to and me. And then I they wonder work. why people are moving to Nevada and Utah. Right. I, I wouldn't live like that. I just wouldn't. I came to Florida because we didn't have a state income tax. You know, I admit it. Um, I, I grew up in New York City, and, and I had city tax, state tax, uh, you know, and then, of course, the federal income tax. And I said, well, no, no, they don't live like this in Florida. And that's why people are drawn here, and they're still coming, Blaze. So we got to get all these insurance and reinsurance problems ironed out because it's just going to get crazy uh, as our population continues to grow. We will, and, and we'll get there, uh, you know, if you look at the places that have the most coastline and the most sunshine, um, and you typically think of California and Hawaii, they're some of the two states that have the most problems. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida, we have a ton of coastline. We have a ton of sunshine. Everyone wants to move here. Our job is to make sure we don't turn this state into California or Hawaii. And that's why there's a lot of good conservative Republicans standing up, pushing back. All right. Well, keep pushing. We're, we're, we're behind you. Thanks so much, Blaze. I'll speak to you in two Appreciate weeks. Appreciate you, Joyce. All right, then. All right. Well, that was good. I was able to get him in and actually ask him a question. How cool was that? Um, And, you know, listen, there's some major issues that are going to be coming up in everyone's lives here in South Florida. Uh, You know, and last night, seeing that Boca Raton literally took back their city um, and did not allow themselves to be railroaded by politicians gives me hope 
because I wouldn't consider Boca or Palm Beach, uh, you know, particularly conservative. I certainly wouldn't, con you know, consider Boca a bastion of conservatism. But even good-meaning, well-thinking liberals have to understand that this stuff is crazy. So that does it for me today. I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon, if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember that what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us, those are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And if you would, if you can get your hands on the insurance, uh, you know, um, whatever, the increase in premiums for your homeowners association, email it to me, email me a copy, because I think we got to get on this, uh, on this case and we got to make some legislators uncomfortable. And if we've got Blaze and Golia on our side, the senator, then perhaps we can uh, create some activity on this issue. May God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.